this morning. Now, we just witnessed baptism, water baptism. And I thought we should maybe just take a little bit of time this morning, maybe have a brief review scripturally of what this really means, what just occurred with those who are baptized this morning. So, just a, uh, an overview. I know it's a reminder to many of you, but for some of you it might be new. And I hope the Word of God touches your heart this morning. If maybe you are in the house or you're connecting with us online and you've never been baptized, a reminder of what baptism is all about. I'm going to read two passages of Scripture, one from Romans chapter 6, the other from uh, Colossians chapter 2. These are both letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to these different churches, the church in Rome, the church in the city of Colossae. The context is baptism. Let's take it in. Romans chapter 6, this is verses 2 through 7. Paul wrote, We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And again, on the topic of baptism to the church in Colossae, Paul wrote this, Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 to 15. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made us public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. Now these are some fabulous words about baptism. Both of these passages that the apostle wrote, they are a representation of and a connection to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is an amazing thing. 
We can definitely say that baptism is a declaration of one's faith. We heard each one of these who were baptized this morning say, yes, that is my faith. I do believe in Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for me. And so it is a profession of faith and it's an outward emblem of that faith. An act of obedience to a command of Jesus Christ. It is all of that. But so much more. We've not got one, but two passages of Scripture here. And they're not just a verse. It's not just a little phrase that we're lifting. But there are, these are passages with explanation wrapped around them that explicitly connect baptism to the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And I don't think there can be anything more powerful, more awesome, more amazing, and yet at the same time, more humbling than to say that we could be connected to the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Both of these passages, they invoke the cross, the crucifixion of Christ. And that was not a death by natural causes, but it was a it was an atrocious, appalling execution. Crucifixion, that was a torture that, that led to death. It wasn't just an immediate killing of someone. It really was a, a torture so that someone was forced to suffer. And it was, it, it was designed to be prolonged suffering Suffering, de deliberately protracted suffering of the person who was hung on a cross. And that's what Jesus went through. He received our just punishment for sin that he didn't commit. And we're reminded by that passage uh, to the Colossians in particular. The debt we owed. That the charge of our legal indebtedness. This is the way the apostle put it. That was, that was what we owed. It was the penalty due us. But it was nailed to the cross. Nailed to the cross of Christ. Jesus paid that death penalty and he paid the price, the debt that we owed. He paid my debt. He paid all of our debt. The debt of the world. And, and that unimaginable death of Jesus, it's tied to baptism. The apostle says we get connected to this. We get connected to that sacrifice. And what is that about? We're, we're invited in baptism to be united with Jesus in this death. Baptized into his death. Paul wrote, but for a purpose. For a purpose. It's not just for a show. It's not just outward. There's a purpose here so that our old self, that old nature, the flesh, that our old self would be crucified with him, put to death, and that body that was ruled by sin might be done away with. No longer a slave to sin. That's powerful. And, and Paul also, he invoked this image of circumcision. That, that's a physical cutting away. It's an operation. But he said in baptism, it's an operation. It's a real thing, but it's an operation that's not performed by human hands. Again, this is fantastic. This is, this is something that's done by the, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. An inner circumcision, a spiritual cutting away of your old self. Your old self that was ruled by the flesh, the apostle wrote. 
That's a circumcision of heart. It's, it's real. There is a real spiritual working that occurs in these waters of baptism. And it's, it, it's likened to the cross and to the crucifixion. A death. A death to sin. We are united with Christ in death. That's tough to comprehend. And yet there's more. There's more. Paul likened baptism not only to the death of Christ, but he said also his burial. Jesus was entombed for three days and three nights. And this was a time of waiting. It was a time of waiting. And it proved he had really died. To be laid down in this water, it, it, it signifies a burial. It's an entombment, if you will. And why the necessity to have a likening to this burial of Jesus? It proved the death. It's necessary also to precede what was to come. A burial proves the death, and it also precedes this great thing called the resurrection that followed. So just as Christ was raised from the dead, the apostle wrote, through the glory of the Father, from that moment of being raised up out of the waters of baptism, we too may live a new life. So the apostle wrote, we're, we're buried with Jesus in baptism. And you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So baptism, it's an amazing, it's an amazing experience. It works this inseparable uniting with Jesus Christ. It's so much more than a profession of faith. Yes, it is that. Of course it's that. But that, then there's this uniting with Christ and his death and his burial and his resurrection. His death, and that's for us dying to sin. His burial, proving that, that that death is occurring and that it did occur and then rising, rising to, to have a new life. These are concepts that are just beyond this profession of faith. It's, it's part of the reason we don't baptize infants. We don't baptize little children that just can't, can't come to understand this awesome, awesome reality that occurs in baptism. Baptism that yields this unity with Christ. It's an important aspect of faith. It's an important aspect of obedience. The resurrected Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, he instructed his followers, go into the world, make disciples, and baptize them. Baptize them. This was his command. So yes, it's, it's an act of obedience. And if you consider yourself a disciple, if you've turned your life over to Christ, if you've repented and said, I believe in Jesus, I want to follow him, I do follow him, but you've never been baptized, I want to encourage you this morning to take that step. Take that step. Step, where there's this grand and there's this amazing and there's this fantastic connection that's made to Christ. And I, I just encourage you, let us know. We would uh, be happy, glad to be a part of that with you and baptize you. And then beyond this, beyond this, this water baptism, there is more. Believe it or not, there's this beautiful connection to Jesus that's made in baptism and yet there's more. Could we even imagine it? it? 
God says, you're connected to the death of Jesus, his burial, his resurrection. But his word says there's more. There is more. Uh, something more to anticipate. Something more to expect. We can have an expectation after baptism for a deeper and a more intensified relationship with Jesus through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That's something that comes after baptism. And this was explained at the first Christian baptism. The first Christian baptism is recorded in the book of Acts chapter 2. 3,000 were baptized. Just a little background. This occurred in the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was full of people. It was crowded. Acts 2 says Jews from all over the world had come to Jerusalem. Why? To observe a festival, a Jewish festival day called Pentecost. It was the, the start of the grain harvest. That's what Pentecost marked. And uh, the people were to bring the first fruits offering to the temple. And this feast day, Pentecost, it was seven weeks after the crucifixion of Christ. Christ was crucified uh, at the Passover, another Jewish festival where Jerusalem was filled. Here it is seven weeks later. Once again, Jerusalem is filled with people. In a room in that crowded city, there was a, 120 people praying together. And suddenly, there was a wind. And what appeared to be cloven tongues of fire were appearing above their heads. And the Word of God tells us they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to declare the wonders of God in languages they hadn't even been taught. And they, they left that room and they went out into the city declaring the wonders of God. And, and all these various languages, it caused kind of a stir. If you read Acts chapter 2, it really caused a scene in the city. People started asking questions. They started to mock these people too. Peter, the outspoken follower of Jesus, explained. He said, this, this isn't some, something that should be feared or it's not some crazy scene. No, he said, this, is, this was prophesied. The Old Testament prophet Joel prophesied exactly what occurred here today. That the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of the living God would be poured out on all flesh. Your men and your women, your sons and daughters would be filled with the Spirit. And they would prophesy. And Peter went on to explain to this crowd that the infilling of the Holy Spirit, it came by the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. He explained that Jesus was truly the Messiah, the Messiah, the Savior. And then he addressed the crowd. He said, but you, but you, you in this crowd, seven weeks ago, Christ was crucified. Many of these people were in that same crowd seven weeks ago. So Peter said, you crucified the Lord, the Savior, the Messiah. Well, that really struck a chord with the people who were listening to him. And here's what happened. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 39. When the people heard this, when they heard all these great, great things about the Holy Spirit being poured out, and they had participated in the execution 
of the Messiah. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So in baptism, there's this uniting. There's this great uniting with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. But Peter, he said, there's more. There is more. There is something more to expect and to anticipate. It's a promise. It's a promise of God. That's a guarantee of something more to come. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There is something beyond this moment of baptism. This was not the first revelation of the Holy Spirit, though. No, if you read the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was operative throughout many people's lives. There's ample accounts of the Holy Spirit being active in the lives of kings and prophets and others. But Peter's talking about a greater experience, a greater experience in the Holy Spirit. This greater experience had been promised by God. The Old Testament prophet Joel prophesied it. And that's who Peter quoted. And Peter was there at the Last Supper. He was there at the Last Supper the night before Jesus Christ was crucified. And he knows that Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is with you and he will be in you. Peter was also there when Jesus said, Go into the city of Jerusalem and wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. So Peter, he explains this greater experience to this great crowd who had witnessed what had occurred. There was 120 emboldened people. They were emboldened by the Holy Spirit. They were declaring the wonders of God. They were endued with power from on high. And they were speaking in languages they hadn't been taught. They had received a gift And to everyone in the crowd, this fantastic, beautiful, wonderful gift, it was available. It was available. Peter told them how. Repent and be baptized, and you will receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. It's God's promise. Now, we've just concluded a gift-giving season. We, We give and we receive gifts. We have gone through this. Christmas time, I want to ask you, have you ever received a gift? I don't know, you open the box and you you really like it. You know, in that moment, you're like, hey, this is great. I really like this. Then for whatever reason, I don't know, a week goes by, a couple of weeks. Where's that thing? Collecting dust somewhere, isn't it? Did you even put batteries in it? I mean, did you check it out? Did you test it? I I received a gift uh, for Christmas that I really like. I have, uh, I've got electronic books, and I've read them on my phone. I've read them on my tablet. Uh, I've got the, the Kindle app so I can read them. But if you're ever out in the sun with your phone or your tablet, I was sitting on a beach this summer, past summer, eh, it's tough to read because of the glare and all of that. And 
I'm kind of a late adopter, but I didn't even have to, I didn't even have to adopt. I received this beautiful gift. So it was, it was the, the Amazon Kindle. This is not a commercial for it. I'm not getting paid, but uh, it's a great thing. I can read without the glare. Uh, the, it, yes, could I read on the old device? Yeah, I had a certain, I had a certain amount of capability. But with this, the books, they automatically get downloaded. I got, I got more capability to read because I don't have the glare. And, and this is sort of the same that occurs with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is, is with us for sure. The Holy Spirit draws us. The Holy Spirit woos us, draws us to Christ. And that's, to me, that's like you know, reading with my glare here. But then... To receive what Peter talks about, this, this gift of the Holy Spirit, there's more. There's so much more. There's more capability. There, there is more through receiving that gift. And so I ask, I ask all of you, have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Can you answer that question this morning? A few of you can. And, and I ask that question because it's biblical. It's, it's a biblical question question to ask. In Acts chapter 8, there's an account of a group of Samaritan believers. They'd repented. They believed in Jesus. Philip had, Philip the apostle had come and the man was preaching. He was on fire. People believed. They believed. They repented. They were baptized. But they had not received the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, verse 16 tells us this. The Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So the record's there. There are people who were believers. They accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, but yet they had not received this fabulous gift. Peter and John, they went to Samaria they went to pray for those believers. And when they prayed over them, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why we pray over people after they're baptized. That's why those who are baptized today, right now, they're receiving prayer for that gift, to receive that gift. In Acts chapter 19, Paul met a group of disciples. They're called disciples. These were not uninitiated people. They were disciples of Jesus. He was in the city of Ephesus. About a dozen he meets. And he asks them directly, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Why would he ask the question if it weren't a possibility that they hadn't received this gift? And what was their answer? Well, their answer was no. No, we haven't received the gift of the Holy Spirit. We don't even know about the Holy Spirit. And Paul determined that they had not been baptized. Though they were believers, they had not been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they had not received this gift of the Holy Spirit. So, right there, they were baptized. Paul prayed for them. He, he laid hands on them, prayed for them. They received this beautiful gift, the Holy Spirit. And that's why I ask, can you answer the question this morning? Have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? That's something you've got to answer right there in your heart. Those Ephesian believers knew, no, not for us. And if you answer yes, and I hear some yeses, if you answer yes, I got another question. 
What's become of the gift? What has become of the gift? It's a gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift. And what are you doing with that gift? Are you learning more about that gift each day? Are you, are you tying into the power and the, the capability and the capacity of that gift? Or is it on the sideline somewhere? Is it like that box you opened for Christmas? You were all excited about it. Yeah, this is great. But now it's on the shelf, collecting dust. God gives us gifts. And like any gift, we choose to what extent that gift will become part of our life. And I have an example from Scripture. It's 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writing to his friend Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.14. He wrote to Timothy, do not neglect your gift. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Timothy had received a spiritual gift, a gift of God. And this gift that Paul might be referring to here, it's not necessarily the gift that I'm talking about, the gift of the Holy Spirit. It said when the body of elders had prayed over Timothy, likely when he was installed, when he was commissioned as an elder, a church leader, and he was prayed over by the body of elders, but it was a spiritual gift nonetheless. And Paul said, don't neglect it. Don't let it collect dust. What are you doing with this gift? Timothy, do not neglect this gift that was given to you when, when others prayed over you and there was prophecy. It can be neglected. What's the point? The point is the gift isn't forced on someone. It's not imposed. When we, when we receive a gift... Does the gift giver stick around and, and, and needle us all the time and push us? That's given. It's a gift. It's given. And it can be neglected or it can be put to use. The gift of the Holy Spirit. If you say yes, you've received that gift, are you using it? Is this a part of your life or has it been neglected? When was the last time the gift of the Holy Spirit was active in your life? In his first letter to the church in the city of Corinth, Paul wrote about these gifts. This, and he wrote about, in, in particular, the gift of the Holy Spirit and what that gift entails. And he, he wrote about his own experience. He said, I pray in the Spirit I praise God in the Spirit. I sing in the Spirit. He also made the point, I pray in the Spirit, but I pray with the understanding. I pray with the understanding, I sing with understanding, praise God with understanding. But he also did, did these things with the, the gift of the Spirit. I asked, when, when was the last time you prayed in the Spirit? When was the last time you worshiped in the Spirit? Before Jesus ascended to the heaven, he said to his followers, in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this is what occurred on that, that day when those 120 received that gift of the Holy Spirit. 
They became bold witnesses for Jesus. They were declaring the wonders of God boldly. Do you recall the last time you were declaring the wonders of God? You were being a bold witness for Jesus, Jesus, and you were sensing that tangible presence of the Holy Spirit helping you and guiding you and giving you the words to say and giving you the boldness to say those words. The presence of the Holy Spirit working in you. Throughout the book of Acts, when believers received the gift of the Holy Spirit, there includes descriptions of beautiful and discernible works of the Spirit occurring in the lives of these believers. Some begin to prophesy. Others begin to, to speak in unknown languages the wonders of God. Healings occurred. Read Acts 8 about the healings that Philip performed. Paul's, Paul, Paul received a healing of his eyes when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Many, many were speaking and preaching boldly for Jesus, filled with the Spirit. All of these, all of these are wonderful expressions of the Holy Spirit in conjunction with a willing and a receptive heart. Is any of this active in your life? Is the gift of the Holy Spirit active in those ways? Or is it off on the side? You have the Holy Spirit sort of secluded on a shelf. When it comes to this gift of the Holy Spirit, let's receive the advice of Paul to Timothy. Do not neglect your gift. And let's also take in the advice he, he gave Timothy. He gave Timothy more advice on the, on the gift, and in particular the gift of the Holy Spirit, when he wrote his second letter. In his second letter to Timothy, the last letter that Paul wrote before he was martyred, in chapter 1, he, he opens this letter. Paul writes the opening salutation to Timothy, and he's commending Timothy for his faith. Timothy, you got great faith. You actually have a line of faith, a legacy through your grandmother and your mother, and now you, you have great faith. And then he says, this is just verse 6 of chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. Right after he, he opens up, greetings Timothy, he begins to commend him for his faith. He says, for this reason, I remind you. For this reason, Timothy, you got great faith. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. There's a distinction here. It wasn't the laying on of hands of a bunch of elders when Timothy was ordained. No, Paul says, through the laying on of my hands. This is a different situation in Timothy's life. Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for the Spirit of God. He's referencing this gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God, the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Will you fan that gift of God into flame? Not be timid, but receive that power of the Spirit. It's not, it's, it's, it's not a, a frightening power. No, it's, a, a, it's got love behind it, the love of God for all of us. 
Paul made this reference that he had personally laid hands on Timothy and he prayed for him. And this gift of God was imparted to him. And Paul directly identifies it as the spirit of God, the, the spirit that God gave him. Now what of this gift of the spirit? Don't neglect it. Do not neglect it. Paul encouraged the exact opposite. Fan it into flame. Other translations of the Bible say rekindle it. Stir it up. Stir it up. Keep using the gift. In other words, don't put it on the shelf. Don't let it collect dust. Revive the gift of God. This is, this is another one of the translations. Paul saying to Timothy, Timothy, revive the gift of God that you were given when I laid hands on you and prayed over you and received that gift. Hey, let's not neglect the gift. If you're answering yes today, are you answering yes? You're filled with the Holy Spirit? You received the Holy Spirit? Okay, so are, uh, is there anyone feeling like I've neglected it a little bit? Maybe I need to re... re it's, there's nothing to be ashamed of here. Timothy... Timothy was a protege of Paul. He was a leader in the church. He was an elder in the church. Paul had already written him a letter. This is the second letter. If a guy like Timothy can allow the Holy Spirit to kind of creep out a little bit or he's put him on the side, well, let me tell you, I know what's happened in my life. I know there's been times I'd say, I've got to rekindle this. I need to revive this. And man, if you... You can say that yourself if you can say that without, you know, don't, you don't just put aside any inhibitions or there's no shame in it. It's a greater, deeper experience with our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're encouraged to do that. Paul, Paul encouraged Timothy, just revive it, rekindle it, stir it back up. Maybe, maybe you've got a fire going, you don't have to fan it so much. Others, maybe it's just a little spark. Will you fan it into flame this morning? And, and, and I'd say, if you've never received the Holy Spirit, if, you, if you're answering like those Ephesians, no, no, I, 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 I haven't received the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be ashamed of that either. Desire it. It's a great, great, wonderful, absolutely the best word is awesome. I'm in awe of God that he would see me as worthy to receive this gift. And it's humbling and, and yet so powerful. So today as we close, if, if you are someone who, you, if you desire more of the Holy Spirit, if you desire the gift, you come on forward, talk to someone here. I'm gonna come down here, you can talk to me. If you've never been baptized, let's make an arrangement for you to be baptized. If you're, you're here and you've repented, you've been, you've been baptized, filled with the Spirit, but it's just a little kind of like a burning little ember of a coal. How about we fan it up today? How about we fan the flame? How about we stir it up? It's okay, we're together. And I just say to anyone here, if you're visiting, and you, you, you think, well, gee, this is really strange. And I know the, the Apostle Paul cautions us against exercising some of the gifts of the Spirit. If there's some who don't understand, understand today. Please understand. This is the working of God. We don't always stand up in a meeting and say, let's stir up these gifts of the Spirit. Paul said, pray with the Spirit, pray with the understanding. And the understanding is to be in 
meetings that are together, and they're all of us. We can take time to exercise the gifts of the Spirit here. You, if you're visiting, know this is God working. And then be in awe of it. Be in awe of it like those who are in Jerusalem, those 3,000 who are baptized. They were in awe of it, they believed, and they received too.